All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Lowdown. I am your host, Misha Aravena. Before we begin, let me introduce my panel. I have Mr. Alex Pope. Say hello. Gentlemen, good to be here. Awesome. And I have Mr. The Incomparable, Andrew Stupart. This seems to be a running thing. I'm going to just, you know, maybe I should change my name to Andrew David Incomparable Stupart. What do you guys think? I love it. Legalize it. Or if I just get rid of my, my legal middle name altogether, it'll be Andrew Comparable Stupart. How about there? I love it. I love it. That's excellent, awesome. Excellent. So guys, uh, on today's topic, this is Alex's topic. Very, very interesting topic. I'm really looking forward to this one. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Alex, to introduce it and get us started on this one. Excellent. Thank you. So, uh, so basically, I've been reflecting on this for a little while now. Um, I think it's safe to say that the three of us are in a time of our lives of great transition. Um, uh, Misha, you've just moved to Ireland, uh, which is a very exciting move. And uh, Andrew Stupart has just purchased his very first home in probably the hottest housing market yeah. in Canada, if I not the poor. Literally, I'm the poorest person that you that you know out of your entire friend group right now. I am so house poor, so house poor. <laughs> exactly, and uh, and myself, I've also just purchased a house uh, where I live here in Ottawa, and um, and I'm also announcing officially to the world that we are going to have a baby uh, sometime in October. So, so yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, exciting stuff is going on right now in, in all of our lives. And uh, I was reflecting on this and thinking back to maybe five or six years ago when I lived in Toronto. Oh, and I was, uh, I was um, put, to put it bluntly, I was a broke loser in Toronto. Wow. Um, basically, um, you know, doing the usual normal Toronto lifestyle, renting a condo, uh, working at, you know, like a, a sales marketing job for like, yeah. you know, not very much money. Um, didn't have any savings to speak of. In fact, uh, I basically lived about a thousand dollars into my overdraft at all times. And I was constantly Jeez. waiting for that next paycheck, uh, basically to come up and gasp for air before going yeah. back back into debt, back into the red. And, um, and I took, uh, I took a long walk just with myself. And I, and I really tried to envision like, like, how am I going to be living five, 10 years from now where, where I've, I've got a house, you know, I've got, um, I've got maybe a side business or something like that. I've got like financial stability. And what is the way that I'm going to get out of this? And, uh, and yeah, so basically over the next uh, few years, you know, I, I decided to, to bite the bullet, move back in with my folks, uh, went back to school. Um, I decided right then and there, I am not going back into debt. I am, I am doing this debt-free. I paid for every dollar of my second education and uh, came out you know, ready to go, started piling money into my savings to save up for a house. And uh, it's, it's really an amazing experience to sort of, to sort of learn how to, how to manage myself, how to manage my money. 
Mm. Um, so I, I thought this discussion would be a great opportunity to sort of learn a little bit about you guys and like how you guys have like managed your lives um, when it comes to sort of um, approaching these transitions and, you know, whether or not you guys have any, any um, strategies in place for, for how to move forward and, and uh, be your best selves as it were. You know um, so I'll start off with, uh, with you there, Misha. What do you think about uh, that transition to Ireland? And uh, is, that, is that something that you've planned a long time on? Or? <laughs> well, it's funny. I will say you never know where the road of life will take you. I would have never thought that Ireland would ever be on my radar. But of course, you meet a girl. And when the relationship becomes serious, you have to make decisions, right? You, where are we going to live? And for the immediate future, we've decided on here in Dublin, Ireland. But in your soliloquy, which was quite potent, there were a couple things that struck with me. When was the moment when you decided to maybe think a little bit more responsibly about money and those kinds of things? And I remember exactly, I was 27 years old, living in Houston, Texas, uh, in an apartment. Well, no, a little house with three other guys right? Uh, all, all paying our equal share. And I was in a little bit of debt. Now, I wasn't in a great deal of debt, which I'm very thankful for. Thankfully, my parents paid my way through my undergrad, which was awesome. And I was fortunate enough when I went to do my master's degree in the States that I got a, a scholarship and got to go there essentially for free. But as we know, nothing in this life is for free. So I still came out with about $11,000 in debt which is nothing in retrospect, which with what some other people had, if I had had to pay for school in the United States, I'd be $150,000 in debt. But it took me a while as I was getting my feet back on the ground to pay off that $11,000. And when I eventually did, I said to myself, I am never getting in debt again. Like it hit me to my core. Like that was the moment where I'm like, I do not want to take the money I'm making and put it against a credit card. Ain't no way I'm doing this. So um, I'll throw it over a little bit to Andrew first, but I just wanted to basically say there was, I, I know exactly what you mean when it comes to the moment. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge uh, Dave Ramsey fan. And basically Dave Ramsey sort of coined the term that I've had it moment. And yeah. it's the, the moment where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yep. And, uh, and that's exactly what it is. It's just like this moment where it's like, I can't live like this. I you, you cannot visualize a future for yourself mm -hmm. on the, the course that you're currently taking. Yeah. Um, so what do you, what do you think there, Stoops? Have you had a big moment that sort of led to your grand successes? I don't know if I would say it's one giant big moment. Um, I'd say I've had like some medium sized moments throughout my early twenties, mid twenties, late twenties. And then now I'm like in my mid thirties, which is hard to believe. Um, and I, and I think, you know, one of the lessons that we learned when we were, you know, coming out of school, bright eyed and bushy tailed, you know, with our media arts degrees is television doesn't pay well. Television pays shit because no. you're paying the, you're no, I don't this. believe it. If you don't believe Alex, you don't believe about the, the term that you actually coined for me, which is called the TV tax. Because so let me let me just lay it out for you. You know, and we've all worked in the arts. I mean, Alex, you you had your own TV show. You've worked you've worked on that. I've I've worked I worked in TV for you know almost 15, uh, 10 to 15 years before landing in marketing. 
Um, and, and it's just, you're paying this tax essentially to, to, live, to work in TV because there's the lights, there's the cameras, there's the sets, there's the journalists and the, and the news trucks and all that stuff. So it's fun. And as much as it is fun, and don't get me wrong, it is, it, it is a stimulating environment. I would take working in TV over being, say, an accountant any day of the week. Um, because, I, you know, it, it is an engaging career, but it's also you're paying because everyone wants to be, you know, working in TV, either behind the scenes or in front of a news desk. It, it just, there's not, there's not as much demand, so the pay is shit. And so as a single person coming out of school when I'm 22, 23, I'm just living on my own, living in a, either in a shitty above ground apartment, like in a high rise, actually the place that you and I used to live, Alex, at, on Sherbourne Street, which is a pretty ghetto part of Toronto. Yeah. Um, and then going from there, I moved home for a little bit, living in my parents, um, kind of in between my own room and their, in my parents' basement kind of thing. Um, did that for a while, saved up some money. And then I, and then I went back into, you know, out on my own again. And it was uh, in East York in a, in a, in a basement apartment. So it's, you know, your money stretches, doesn't stretch very far. If you think about cost of living in Toronto and then the, the media industry or the arts in general. So you have cost of living up here and you have income down here because of, you know, working in the arts or working in the media industry. It's hard to put that money into your savings. And I wasn't going, doing big things. Like I didn't have a car. I didn't go to concert concerts often. I didn't buy fancy clothes. Um, you know, so I wasn't, I wasn't buying like luxurious goods or like, or taking, you know, two week vacations to Jamaica or whatever. So I wasn't living in a life of luxury. Like, and I was more or less like just paying, like living paycheck to paycheck, putting a little bit of my savings here and there, but it's really hard. Um, especially when you're starting out, especially in a, in a city like Toronto, which is one of the hottest housing markets in, in, in Canada and, and the cost of living is high. So I guess one thing that I'll say is I learned the hard way, um, that life is fucking expensive in Toronto. And at some point you have to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree exactly. What you're saying is, is so true. Um, working in the television industry, it's, um, it's really difficult to compete with people that want to work for free. Uh, oh, I, sure. have a, sure. I have a, a very good friend of mine who does uh, um computer animation and, and that yeah. CGI type of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and at one point he just had to say like, he, he, he started refusing all unpaid work. Yeah. Um, no matter what, like whatever, whatever the, the cost will be to his life and the opportunities that he's going to give up yeah. on. Yeah. At some point he had to just start saying no to that stuff because he knew that. Um, well, you're you getting know, abused at that point. Right. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. abuse. It's brutal. And I, I was going to say, and I, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Alex. We could actually do a whole episode. Maybe we can tie this into our podcast about the arts, which we're going to do later. This is a perfect segue yeah. into Misha's upcoming episode in a few weeks that we'll be putting live on, on, on Spotify about working in the arts. But it's, it's a perfect segue and a perfect tie-in because you're exactly correct. And I have my own side business Stupart Media, which is a wedding videography business. Now, admittedly, with COVID, it's been zilch. But during a regu regular wedding season, I can make like some nice side coin just jumping around to these weddings and, and yeah. shooting and editing these weddings. And there was a point where, you know, people would ask me, not in the wedding industry, but in other 
aspects of my life, people want to ask me for free video work because I have this, you know, really nice video camera. I know how to, you know, I know how to do some editing and stuff. And people would ask me to come record a rehearsal of a, uh, of a, of a stage player, come, you know, come and do document behind the scenes of a, of a rehearsal or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? The one I started asking, how much does this pay? And uh, what's your timeline for it? And, and, you know, and as soon as they see how much does this pay in the email, they fuck off because um, <laughs> you know what? I like to volunteer. I think volunteering is great, but I'm at the stage now with my videography skills and my editing skills and my general producing skills that when it comes to that level of work that people are expecting, either pay up or get the fuck out of my email inbox. Simple yeah. as that. Agree. Exactly. But yeah, again, it's uh, it's something that I, I realized pretty early on wasn't going to pay the bills and sort of yeah. like I moved on to other things. But, yeah. you know, even, even those other things um, in a city like Toronto, if you're not into uh, information technology or, um, you know, if you're not into uh, the medical field, if you're not a yeah. lawyer, that type of stuff, it's like you were just like in over your head. Yeah. Um, you know and, what, Alex? Yeah, I would say too. living here in Dublin, like in, in the in the city center, when the average rent is like nineteen hundred euro a month. What's Ooh. that? Two thousand five hundred bucks Canadian. Ooh. Who can afford that unless you yeah. are a doctor yeah. or a lawyer? And that's not yeah. and that's and that's just a normal apartment that if any one of yeah. us walked into, we'd be like, this is just like a normal place. There's yeah. nothing extravagant nothing about special. it. Nothing embarrassing. You have to remember both, in like, both our cases, we're living in capitals. Like, actually, all three of us, you're, I mean, I know cost of living in Ottawa is cheaper, but you're still in a capital, right? And so it's people pretty, drawn it's into actually this. getting pretty overheated here, believe it or not. I was going to say, like, Ottawa, so you paid, I think, half the price. I won't, I won't give the numbers out because I don't want to necessarily do that, but I think you paid around just slightly over half of what I paid for my place in Toronto, and your place is detached. My, mine is, is a townhouse. It's a row house. But that just go, that just goes to show you. Um, actually, let me before let me clarify. Yours is semi detached or Alex? Um, it's it's kind of apples and oranges because mine's a condo. Um, it is uh, semi semi detached. It's attached it. on one side, but we also pay condo fees. So well, it's kind of apples fees at your at your current house. You pay you pay condo fees. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So and and just to put things in perspective, you're in the capital the literal capital of Canada, and you paid just over half of what I paid for my place in Toronto, which is, I think, a little bit smaller than yours because I've seen your place. Yours is a bit bigger. Um, Misha, you're in the capital of Dublin, and you told me that that amount in euros, my eyeballs just burst out of their fucking sockets. <laughs> well, um, I don't, I just what? to clarify, we're not quite in Dublin. We're the equivalent, I would say, of yeah. like Toronto to Mississauga. We're about Got 20 it. minutes okay. outside Got of it. Dublin, but still so, very, so, very uh, close. Misha, what's the average house go for just outside of Dublin? Is is this overheated market just a Canadian North American phenomenon? No, no, it's definitely I would say all over the world, but definitely in uh, in Ireland. The average house here now, of course, it depends on location, yeah. what you're looking for, and all those things. But to get something decent, uh, you're looking at 250,000 euro, which would be about half a million Canadian. Yeah. Right. That's about the yeah. standard for just like yeah. a normal house. Anyway. I paid more than that for mine in Toronto. It's a fucking row house and it's not even in the city. It's like, it's in North York, which is, 
it's still within the borders of Toronto, but it's pretty much like almost at the most northern part, almost before you hit the border going into like the suburbs. So yeah. I think Toronto, I'm not that it's competition. Everyone has their own lives, right? I'm not trying to compete with you guys on who's the most house poor. But I do have no, to yeah. say that I think. No, yeah, no. Stupart's the most house considered <laughs> Toronto. I think Toronto's the one that takes the cake here. Like yeah. I am in Toronto and I am, I am pretty fucking house poor. But all of us have our own challenges, whether it's Dublin, Ottawa, or sorry, out, the suburbs of outside of Dublin or Ottawa or Toronto, we're all facing this, this demon called the money, you know, the rat race together. Right. I've got to give you props for, for sticking it out in, in Toronto. Cause like very early on, I knew that I was not going to buy a house in Toronto. That, that would just like, it wasn't in the cards for me. I would and have moved every- to Windsor, Ontario, Stu part <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There. something i'll say and alex I, we can talk about this more but i think this is a perfect segue into how i did it because i i work in marketing i'm not a high level professional like you said like i'm not a banker i'm not a bay street banker i'm not a bay street lawyer i'm not like some high level it professional or engineer you like, married up marketing. you you married up that's what you did well that's you know what i married <laughs> up right? not that i'm i don't have that's a wedding ring on yet <laughs> But, uh, and I'm not giving you the finger. It's my other finger, by the way. There's no wedding ring on yet because of COVID. But uh, I did, I fiancéed up. (laughs) No, seriously, my my fiancé, she's amazing. She's a small business owner in Toronto. And she she does very well. She owns a nail salon, uh, Midtown Toronto. And just, I mean, all things considered, I mean, COVID's pretty rough right now. But during non-COVID normal times, she does some pretty good bank. She does okay. I mean, I'm, an, I'm a marketing professional, so I'm still like medium to low earning. When you, when you think of all of Toronto, like I'm medium to low earner, okay? That being said, still, if, if, if TV is down here, I'm a little bit up the, up, the, up the ladder now working in marketing as a marketing professional, okay? Well, but I guess yes. what the point I'm trying to make here is that it's the power of two. One person on their own who's an average earner is not going to be able to afford a place in Toronto until they're like 65, okay? Mm-hmm. It's the power of two, okay? So my fiance and I coming together, her income coming in from her small business, my income coming in, um, it's the power of two because then all of a sudden you're splitting the rent in half, okay? So my rent got cut in half at my place, my old apartment, Midtown, okay? We bought a car a couple a uh, couple months ago. That was, you know, she I handled the car payments. She handled the down payment. So we're splitting the car costs. We, you know, she put in some for the house. I put in some. Her, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. She put in more than me for the house. And but it's that power of two people coming together because you have to remember that you know relationships not only are they romantic, they're sexual, they're loving, but they're also financial partnerships as well, right? Yeah. yeah, that's so true. I mean, it's at this stage, like, you know, as Misha was saying, as a worldwide phenomenon, the cost of living is up everywhere. Yeah. Um, the only way to do it, you know, like if you have an average job and average income is to uh, is to match that with someone else that's that's hardworking and and uh, the uh, the single income household. It has gone the way of the dodo pretty much. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, basically, you know, what, 
what would you guys have done differently in your younger days to sort of like uh, speed your progress, you know, towards your, uh, um, towards buying a house and that, and that type of thing. <laughs> For me, I would have, I would have started working with Disney a lot earlier. <laughs> well, I, what I do you think say, that you did with Disney? So I was a performer. I was an actor and a singer with Disney and I, I did a, a bunch of shows with them, but Uh, All joking aside, what I kind of learned is, and you guys know this as an artist, and I've dealt with this myself, um, there's been a couple of years as an artist where I've, I've made more money than anyone can, you know, think of basically, but then the next year, it can be the opposite. Now back to working a minimum wage job somewhere. And so there's no consistency, right? Um, so if I had found that job a lot earlier at 2021, 20, 22, I would have saved up and then just bought a house in cash up front, fully paid off, right? But fortunately, I wasn't able to do that. So what I would have told my younger self is I would have opened up uh, a savings account much earlier. Yeah. Like basically yeah. right when I graduated mm-hmm. university at 21, 22, because I only started that maybe two years ago when I turned 30, right? That when I started now, uh, that that's not that late, right? But if I could tell myself a little bit earlier, I would have started putting money aside, even if it was just, you know, $100 a month starting out yeah. when I was 20, 21, would have made all the difference in the world, right? And as an artist for myself, you know, COVID has been very unkind, but I think Disney every day, that I'm alive because it, 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 um, it helped me put a lot into my savings that I don't have to, Oh, I have to get this job. I have to get this job or I can't pay for this, this, it, it, but a lot of most artists don't have that foundation. So bottom line, I would have started a savings account right out of university. Right. For sure. For sure. And Misha, I, I applaud you for that because it's never too late. You know what I mean? It's never too late. I mean, it's better to do it when you're young, obviously, because you have that time. Yeah. Um, for me, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. So I, I've had an RSP for a good five to 10 years now. I have, when, I, when I'm working at a stable company, because you're, you're a little bit different, you're freelance, so you're up and down, you're, you're ebbs and flows, right? So you yep. can make a big chunk of money for doing some work with Disney or whoever, whatever agency you're with or, or company you're with. And then it can be dry for a while. Whereas me, I've sort of gravitated towards the nine to five because I like the stability of just having that solid paycheck every two weeks. And I have, and I have, you know, a, just a kind of a very stable, regular income, which is fantastic. I guess my thing, and I, and I, as I said, I do applaud you for opening up that savings account. For me, it's just a very balanced portfolio. So I have not only a regular high interest savings account and a checking account, obviously for day to day. But I also have a TFSA, which is for sort of those mid to long-term, you know, um, purchases like a car. And then I have an RRSP, which is for the long-term. So that would be for a house. You can act in Canada. I don't know what it is in Europe or the European Union or in the UK, but in Canada, there's a first-time homebuyers program where basically, as you guys know, an RRSP um, is it comes off your paycheck or you can, you know, so let's say I'm getting it off my pay, cutting it off my paycheck. Okay. Uh, you know, that's, that's a, uh, pre-tax deduction. Okay. So there is no tax, basically your income goes down and then that money goes tax-free into a uh, account. 
The thing is, it's when you pull it, it it's when, that's when you get dinged with the taxes. So basically you're delaying the taxation of your, um, your, of this, of this nest egg until you're at a lower income bracket when you're, when you retire. But the key thing is most people wait until they're retired and then they pull it out because they're at a, they're at a lower bracket. So they're not going to get as highly taxed. And that's the whole point behind an RSP. It's, it's a vehicle for savings for your retirement. Okay. But the way that I use my RSP um, is for the first time homebuyers program. So how that works is yeah, that's smart. Um, I was shoving money in there. Okay. And then, and in order to pull it out tax free, um, I actually filled out a form saying that my fiance and I are buying our first house and you can actually pull it out tax free because it helps stimulate the economy when you purchase um, a house, right? So Canada, Canada, you know, the government of Canada wants you to buy a house. So there's an incentive um, to, to having that RSP and then not having the tax benefits. And then the only, the only caveat, the only rule is I have to replenish that money within the next five years but I have a grace period where I don't have to do any repayments. So I think having an RRSP, whether it's for your retirement or for your first home, um, is a wonderful way to uh, get started in the uh, housing market. Yeah, same here. That's exactly what I did. Started putting money into that RRSP like crazy. Oh, and yeah. uh, as soon as COVID happened, I think it dropped down like maybe 20% of its value or something like that. It was... Oh, yeah. Definitely, um, definitely a shock to the system to see that much yeah. money yeah. disappear overnight. Yeah. But uh, but luckily, my financial advisor, um, you know, said, like, you know, come September, things are going to even out. Yeah. You know, all of my investments were in very like low risk investments. Yeah. So they were the first thing to come back. Um, oh, nice. So there's that. Um, but, you know, just on a side note, I would say like having a good financial um, guy in your corner, um, someone who can sort of like help you make these investments and give you yeah. a little bit of advice. You know uh, what I will no say, I, I just to add to this, Alex, when I was in high school, I don't remember ever getting taught by any teachers, any of mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. And I don't know what the education system is like in high school, but we were talking about how shop class should kind of be mandatory oh, yes yes but i should think by like grade 11 or 12 there should be some kind of more more of an emphasis on like hey financial planning this is yeah. a bank account kids this is a credit card and then go from there yeah. and oh, yeah and you should have tests and stuff not just like yeah. okay here's your your one day course on this this should get taught from a very early age you know what misha i'm gonna jump in because you said something very you know you nailed it on the head like you always do um, there's, I learned a lot of garbage in school, right? And I, and I don't want to put down, I had some great teachers. My history teacher was fantastic, super passionate. My math teacher, even though I hated math, she was very in, focused on what she did, whatever, had some great teachers. Okay. Not disputing that. What I'm saying, I, I what I do want to kind of hit home here, what you said, Misha, is the stuff we learn in fucking high school, a lot of it's garbage. Like, what am I, how am I ever going to like use the information about the Greek mythology or the Roman fucking viaducts or whatever, like, I don't, you know, or the, or the middle ages, like what, there's no application to history really, unless you're a, a physical, actual fucking historian, there's no, you know, my, 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 um, ancient civs class fucking useless. 
algebra and math, unless you're going to be an engineer or a computer like engineer or something like that, fucking useless. Writer's craft, like I love taking writer's craft and drama and the art stuff. And maybe for you, Misha, that was important, even for me going into TV. But then I think about the amount of time I wrote scripts in high school and fuck. And, and, and don't get me wrong, that stuff is fun. I love writing scripts and putting on plays and stuff. And if you want to be in the arts, Misha, that's good for you. But I think I could have, in retrospect, some of that time that I spent in my history class or my algebra class or in my writer's craft class could have been better spent learning about the stock market, learning about investments and portfolios and low risk versus high risk versus you know, medium risk portfolios or learning about um, credit cards, to your point, Misha or learning about how to fix the fucking drywall because side note, I, as you guys mentioned, you know, I just, I just bought my first house in Toronto. And as my mom always says, it's a fucking money sucker. These things are a money sucker and you, and, and knowing how to do a home renovation yourself, right? Like whether that's the particular um, type of drill bit you're going to use or a, a drywall fix, you know, fixing kit or whatever. All these skills, either to do with money or renovations, like we didn't fucking learn this shit in school. And I'm kind of hitting myself in the back of the head now saying like, like maybe the school, maybe you're right, Misha, maybe the school system needs to learn some, some, some financial it, fucking skills. I think yeah. it, well, before I throw it back over to Alex, I just think it's important. Hey, let's learn life skills that you will oh, use yeah. on a day to day. For sure. Basis. Everyone is going to rent at some point in their life. Right. Every, everyone is going to um, do some work around the house or the apartment at some point. And, and we should learn those things as, as well as the other things that you're passionate about, the arts, history, whatever. But yeah, anyway. And that that lends itself to, to the other point that I wanted to cover is student debt. Um, the only conversation that I ever had with teachers about um, personal finance and, and how to manage money was that when you go off to university or college, yeah. apply for OSAP. It's free money. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you you apply and they give you money. So like do it. And uh, and I always like I had like this weird feeling about it. I didn't really know why I was only 18 at the time. Yeah. But looking back on it, it's like you don't have to borrow money to go to school. And I know that that's like, that's an alien concept. And a lot of people will probably even argue with me to the death over this, but you don't have to borrow money to go to school. And if you choose to go to a school that's, that's close to home, if you choose to take a program that's a, a lower price, um, you can actually get out of this and, and find a decent paying job and not be up to your eyeballs in debt. And, and Misha, you're just like me. Like when I, when I finished, I didn't have a lot of debt. I maybe had around 10,000 or something like that, but it's astonishing how long it takes to pay off $10,000. Yeah, it's for sure. Yeah. It's insane. So like, I, I wish that, I, I wish that someone had told me you don't have to do this. You could look at it a different way and, and apply to a different course in a different city. And maybe you can, you can get out of this and, and be living above the line on day one. And yeah. like, I think that's the biggest thing that I would do differently is, you know, even as a kid, you can make that decision that I'm always going to live above zero. I'm not yeah. going to be a slave to debt. I'm not going to yeah. borrow from the bank 
and spend the rest of my life paying off uh, just the interest on this stupid loan that I took out. Yeah, and you I'm gonna, what? Alex, I'm um, gonna jump in because I'm gonna first say I was very fortunate. I'm gonna say like hashtag white, rich, whatever privilege. Not that my parents were rich. Like my parents were. Let me let me re, let me retract a little bit. Not privileged in the way that like my my dad was not a doctor or lawyer. We're not talking like millions here. But my my parents were comfortable because my both my parents worked their way up the ladder and they worked fucking hard like all of our parents did. And my dad was such a good saver. My dad was, if, if he didn't need to do something in the house in terms of, uh, you know, um, renovations, or if he didn't need to go out and, and eat, you know, fast food, or if he didn't need to go, go out and do like a, a two week vacation, maybe a one week vacation local instead, anywhere where my dad could like find money, like pull money from somewhere like that wasn't necessary, he did it. And because of that, because of my parents' really, really smart financial planning when I was growing up, I, my education was paid for the vast majority of it by my dad. So I'm very privileged and I won't, I'm not going to like downplay that because a lot of people aren't right. Like a lot of people don't have that. Right. And so, so I'm that's why you slacked off in all of your university classes. Pretty much. Right. Like, cause I, I had everything because <laughs> my dad basically handed me this like $50,000 education. He paid for my stay in Toronto for the most part, like I helped them out a little bit here and there with my summer jobs and like my high school like job, like I, I would give money to my dad towards my education. But like I would say 95% of my education and living costs was paid by my dad. And I never take that for granted. Like I'm very thankful for my, from both my parents working their butts off and, and saving and just building up that nest egg for my brother and I to, to go to this, to go to this, um, to UFT slash Ryerson, my brother went to UFT and Ryerson, you know, so I was super privileged that way. But then when I look back on it, like, despite the privilege that I have and the, and the, and the, e and the, and the ease that I had, you know, by having my parents take care of me, I still reflect and I look back and I think about like, if I had only done like a two-year program at Mohawk college for, for radio and TV, like, I probably would have had the same result and I would have ended up in the same positions working at CBC or global or discovery channel, um, which I, those are the places I worked in my career. I probably could have like saved my dad quite a lot of money. If I had taken his little Honda civic and driven from Burlington to Hamilton every day, lived in my parents' house and took it and took a two year Mohawk journalism program or TV program, rather than taking, you know, 50, whatever thousand of my dad's hard earned fucking money and blowing it living in Toronto for a four-year degree program with, with, you know, with very few, with a very low paying industry that we got, that we got shoved into, right, Alex? Absolutely. Not to mention you lived in residence as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Probably it's a whole other thing. Would you, would so, you encourage your children to live in residence? You know what? I, here's, here's my thing. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a little tangent, but then I'll shut up afterwards. So just bear with me. So I guess the overarching point is whether or not you're privileged like I was and my, you know, my father, an amazing saver who was able to put his priority was putting my brother and I through school. Okay. But my brother took a fucking English and film degree and ended up working at walking on a cloud for the first couple of years of the school, which is just a shoe store. He was working retail, right? I was fortunate that I got into the TV, TV industry from my 50 fucking thousand dollar degree. But again, like, let's look at like what the end goal is. You know, when I talk to my cousin, who's 
16, no, she just turned 17. She's turning 18 in the summer. I, you know, I tell her, don't go, don't go get an English degree. Don't get a philosophy degree. Don't get some sort of like fucking like media arts degree. Cause you're not going to end up like where you want. Right. Like, and I, so I think like for the people of the future, like think about the actual skill sets, like think about what you want to do and the skill sets that are going to get you there and how to attain it. Because while having a degree sounds attractive, having that piece of paper saying that you're that you're a bachelor of arts in radio and television or English or whatever sounds attractive and it makes you sound smart, right? But it's not going to bring in the bacon, right? You know, the jobs that bring in the bacon are like you, Alex, you you are paid pretty well from what I remember um, doing the trades. So you 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 upskilled and you went into the trades and the trades are in demand. So knowing how to fix an air conditioning or a refrigerator or uh, a furnace, whatever, like learning, how, knowing how to fix things in a house or commercially, big money in that. Um, you know, learning computer science and programming and knowing how to work with, with code. There's money in that, you know? So there's, you don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer to make good money. You just have to know what areas in demand. Don't think necessarily about what you wanna do and only focus on that focus on what's in demand and like try and upskill in that area because you want to go where the demand is and you don't have to have a four-year program for that like how long was your college program Alex? Exactly. two years, um, two years yeah right? but the program was only 12 months and, 12 months. and so here's the thing year. i did a simple calculation before i started that it's yeah. like i do not want to do anything um, I don't want to pay for an education yeah. Yeah. if that education is going to cost me more than my annual income in my starting job. Oh, for sure. Right? So, for sure. so if I, let's just say I spend $40,000 on an education. I want to have an $80,000 a year yeah, starting. For sure. And, and when I did, uh, uh, went to Algonquin to do my thing, I spent about 12000 and my yeah. first year out, I made about 50,000. So yeah. I was, and that was your first year out, man. Like that was your first year out uh, making 50. I'm sure you're making more now. I won't ask what you're making, but the whole point, you just proved my whole point that you did a one year certificate and that trumped your entire four years of fucking Ryerson. Um, <laughs> not that, not that I want to put down Ryerson because Ryerson is a fantastic school and I love the experience of going to Ryerson. And I would, you know, and I love being in residence and all that stuff. But if you think about the practicality of it, you know, <laughs> you went for 12 months at Algonquin, you're already making big bank over what you did before. And you have a skill that no one can take away from you. Like at this point, no one can, like you have your HVAC and your technical skills and no one can take that away from you. And you're going to be set up for success, right? And that was with a 12-year college program. Okay, <laughs> so I guess the overall point I'm making here is that it's lovely to, you know, to do what you think is, is interesting, which it could be film or the arts or whatever, but think, but also think very carefully and think about what's going to be in demand, right? So that's, again, that's going to be computers and coding. The medical sector is always going to be in demand, even if you're like a nurse, right? Like nurses are, are in demand, the trades are in demand, right? So like, think about what society needs and what society is going to shell out the most for and, and if you can just do that in a single, like, you know, 12 month or 18 month program, do it. Don't blow your money on a fucking degree if you don't need to. All right. I'm going like to chime in here now a little bit. Because I'm going to disagree with you guys. A little oh. bit. I'm going to disagree with oh. you guys a little bit. Oh. 
And here's my thing. So I read a really interesting article one time that said 8% of people do what they love in this world. 8% of people do what they love and get paid decently to do it, right? And if I was talking to a young person, I would encourage them to, you know, have a plan, be smart, but what is your main focus in life? Is it just money? So do you want to make good money, but be fucking miserable doing what you do, getting up every morning, man, I make $120,000 a year, but I hate going to my work every single day. Or would you be happier maybe, maybe making $50,000 a year, but every day you wake up going, man, I love my job. Cause I'm going to tell you this right now, 8% of people genuinely love their job. And this might go into our arts episode right now, but we all started off as artists in some way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose this question to you both. If Steven Spielberg, because you guys are filmmakers, came up to you guys and said, listen, my next three movies, Alex and Andrew, I need you guys to be my DP. You have to drop your careers and join it. What would you say? You'd do it. You'd do it sure. because that's what you are in your heart at the end of the day. You went on to other things for security. That was the main reason. But if Steven Spielberg said, I want you to be a filmmaker on my movie, you would, you would go to your boss and say, I quit, I'm out. And you would be ecstatic. So my bottom line is what I tell young people, listen, have a backup plan for sure. Have a yeah, backup yeah, plan, yeah, yeah. but do what you love. Yeah. Bottom line. I, I agree with you on hundred percent there, Misha. I could, I really couldn't agree with you more. Um, but the thing is, is like, I think, um, when you're talking about like an artistic field or something like that, it's, it almost makes more sense just to do it. You know, like we spent four years um, going to radio and television arts. And that was when my enthusiasm, my, my motivation was at its absolute highest. Yeah. And during those four years, you know, I did a lot with it, but I also felt like I was holding back because it's like, oh, I'm still in school. Now, if I hadn't been in school, maybe I could have just gone out into the real world and just did it. Yeah. If, if I was talking to my child that wants to get into the, into the arts or something like that, I'd say, absolutely follow your dream. But when it comes to this, like, why not just do it? Why yeah. go to school? You have like, there's so many resources available to you. Yeah. You can go to the library, pick up books. You can watch documentaries. You can watch all kinds of instructional videos. Um, all of the information that we were given and we paid top dollar for, um, we could have gotten that information and just did it. And, yeah, and well, I, I think we robbed ourselves of our peak motivation in our yeah. lives. And, and I have to agree there. And and, and I'm always going to bring it back to the fact, like, I loved being in residence and, go, you know, going out clubbing downtown when clubbing was more of a thing in Toronto and, and having that experience, like living in the in the T-dot and like, you know, and just living it up and being a student. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I love that aspect. But if I put on my 35-year-old glasses now and look through that lens, rather than a 19, 20, 21-year-old, I would kind of agree with you, Alex. Like, I wonder if all of those thousands upon thousands of dollars of tuition that we paid to be in the studio or 
or learning about, you know, comedy writing theory or dramatic, whatever, this and that, like all, and the can't the advanced camera courses. Could I learn that on my own? And I'm going to point to an example, a friend of mine. Um, oh, you remember um, Evan Stevens, right, uh, Misha? Mm -hmm. So Evan Stevens went through school. Um, so he's like in the same boat as us. Uh, he actually did quite a bit of school for this, but one of his friends, I don't even think finished like his program and he just like got really good at doing camera work and he works on like big camera productions and that. So there, to, I guess to, to echo your point, Alex, like if you're really talented as a vocal artist, as a voice actor, as a, you know, as a singer, dancer, performer, or on our, our side of the fence, which is the technical, so lighting, camera, uh, recording studios and stuff like that you can probably do it on your own it's going to be a bit harder because you don't have the guidance of a professor but your pocketbook is going to thank you and I know tons of people who didn't go to their four-year program their two-year program their six-year whatever master's whatever program and they just fucking did it like you said said Alex and they're and they're working in high and they're working in high profile like movie sets and stuff like that so you know what you're you're exactly right and um, let's look at, I mean, if you look at a lot of these successful people, um, there's a lot of professional filmmakers who didn't finish film school. A lot, if you look at someone like Bill Gates, right, who like didn't finish university, Steve Jobs didn't finish university, right? So I guess the overall arching point that I'm making, and I'm sort of, you know, I'm sort of, it sort of goes in line with what you were saying, Alex, is a university degree in some cases is wonderful, but in other cases, it's a big fucking flop and a big waste of money. And and if you have the if you have the 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 imagination, the initiative, the the brain to do the work on your own, like do it on your own. You don't you don't need a degree to get where you want to go. Not uh, to mention how many how many people have you guys heard of that had previous careers, previous successful careers? Like they used to be a doctor, but then they became an actor. You know, it's like, like, that's a brilliant career strategy. Become yeah, because money doesn't become an issue anymore. Yeah. You can do what you want. Exactly. <laughs> um, guys, before Alex, I, I throw it over to your next point. I just want to say one thing. You guys make excellent points. This is a great topic. One thing I find funny, though, is having so many American friends, having done my master's in the States, um, the numbers that you throw out in terms of university costs is nothing over Bush there. Lee. You're talking about like, oh, this this four year, forty thousand dollar arts degree in the States, this uh, this arts degree, forty thousand dollars for one year. Oh, yeah. yeah. One hundred and fifty thousand dollars American for yeah. the four years in a degree that could be very hit or miss. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just find that funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, for I, sure. I, I wonder if that has, you know, that's something. Um, that's a reason why there's so much inequality in the States is that education just is something that a lot of people don't have access to at a certain level. I wonder, I don't know. Absolutely. What were you saying there, Stoops? No, no. I was just going to say 100% the States is, is, is horrible in terms of the fact they don't subsidize their education. I mean, we could do a whole other episode on comparing Canada to, to the States, but I, I, all I was going to say is it's pretty horrific the amount of people, you know, I don't have that many friends who, who live in the States, but I have a few and they just hearing through the grapevine or hearing through experiences of friends of friends of friends about people who have student debt in the States is crippling, Nisha, to your point, it is yep. crippling. 
And, and uh, I think the States is, is in a terrible example of, of a country that, you know, everyone's on their own. It's the, it's the survival of the fittest. There's no, there's no um, real sort of um, subsidizing of education in the States at a university, in, in universities. And it's, it's, it's appalling. Like, I know we complain about Canada because we don't, we're partially in, in Ontario and different parts of Canada, we're partially subsidized. So the government does subsidize a bit of your education, which is why I didn't pay a hundred grand. I only paid 50 grand or my dad, I guess, whatever. But the point is, we're, we're, it is nothing compared to the states because the states, it's, it's, it's if you're if you're privileged and you have the money, great. If not, you're going to be you're going to get this wonderful education, but you're going to be knee deep in debt because of the way that the states is right. Like there, there's no social health care. Excuse me, there's no social health care, right? You pay for your own doctor bills out of pocket, right? Um, and just all these things. Like the states is just very backwards in general how they just don't help out the general population. That being said, Americans do have options like community colleges and things like that. I think when you're talking about $40,000 a year tuition, you're talking about out-of-state colleges, you're talking about Ivy League universities. Yeah. yeah. So, so you do have to sort of factor in, there are some options, um, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the high-end education in Canada versus the high-end education in the United States it's insanity. It's, it's a huge difference. So I basically want to wrap this up and, uh, and just sort of finish off on one, one sort of question that I'll pose to both you guys. Like, what are your, what kind of strategies do you guys have going forward, uh, moving into, um, you know, I don't know, maybe you're choosing to have a family, maybe not. Um, but you know, planning for retirement, all of those things, do you guys have a game plan for that? Uh, I'll, I'll say, jump in just, oh, sorry, Misha, please. I no, saw no, so moving, I, you go ahead. I'm a little younger than you guys, actually a lot younger. No, 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 only a little younger. <laughs> no, only, only a little younger, but right now, as you guys know, uh, it, it's always a little harder as an artist and a, and a teacher. And my priority right now is myself and my girlfriend. We are big travelers, like traveling is number one. So we save a lot in terms of that um, and, and retirement. Eventually, you know, you want, I want to kick back and not have to worry about money and just do what I want to do. Um, we haven't talked about any kind of family goals of any kind yet. We're not quite there yet. We don't know if that's something we want anyway, or, or, or maybe we do, we don't know yet. But in terms of planning for the future, we're just, I'm just putting money in that savings for travel, paying off all these costs here, and retirement in 30, 40 years down the line, period. Nice. Hopefully, hopefully no kids. Well, no, no, I'm not, I don't want to put it out there. I'm not saying no, I, and I'm not saying yes. It's just not, it's not on the agenda. It's not right on the now. agenda yet. Yeah. And Alex, you say that facetiously as someone who just announced <laughs> your fir- the, the, that, your, that your fiance has a baby on the way. Yeah. Well, um, what, what do they say it is? Is it a million dollars over the course of a kid's lifetime or something? Oh, it's like ridiculous. It's I haven't ridiculous. heard that much. I, I heard 300,000 for. Well, it is it is 40,000 just to own a dog over its over its lifetime. Oh, so brutal, brutal. <laughs> that should put things in perspective. Oh, for sure. This is why I don't have any pets. No, no, honestly, no. I guess I guess wrapping up, there was so much more I could have said. There was a lot on my agenda, but I guess I'll try and like you know, distill it down to a couple things. 
Uh, for me, it's like when we were, so no, this is going to sound horrible. Despite the fact that COVID-19 put a real big damper on, you know, my fiance's business, it sucks. But for me working at home, here's a couple things. Eating out, I was notorious. I used, I work when, when I'm actually in the office, like when things go back to normal, my office is located in the Eden Center. So I was eating out every day. Okay. Oh. So going, staying home um, during COVID. And again, I don't want to downplay cold COVID is horrible. I would never wish a pandemic on the world again. It's, it's horrific. Right. But for me, it was actually a good thing in the sense, number one, I'm not eating out every day, which is not only good for me health wise, like I've lost weight. I feel better by not eating out every day, but it's great for my pocketbook. Okay. Not eating out, cooking a lunch every day at home, um, going to Costco and getting my, my milk or whatever, and just buying in bulk and just cooking at home, not going out to the restaurants. I mean, I love going out to restaurants to eat like once in a while, but cutting back on that and not eating out every day at the eating center has saved me boatloads of money. Number one, cutting out my, cutting out my yoga treaty membership. I love yoga, but cutting out that yoga treaty membership again, as a result of COVID-19, which sucks. Like I, you know, the pandemics hit everybody, but for me, I haven't gone to the yoga studio and I just do, I do exercise at home. So cutting out an expensive membership, not eating out. Um, I just cut off my Crave TV. So I haven't, I haven't had cable for like, I think seven years. Um, I cut out my Crave and HBO. I just watch Netflix. So cutting out expenses, things, if you can live without it, um, like cut it out, man. Like seriously, like um, it was again, eating out um, extra cable packages that you don't need or, or, or streaming packages. Um, the power of two, as I mentioned, so, you know, my fiance and I together splitting the costs. Um, there's just, there's like little things you can do in your life to like cut things out of your life that you won't even miss, right? Like I don't miss having a fucking burger every day. That was $15 at the Eden center. Like I don't miss that and neither does my gut. Right. So there are little things that you can do to like cut back expenses and you'll, you'll be, you'll be astonished at how quickly that RSP, that TFSA, and that savings account um, really pile up once you cut out um, some of those frivolous, non-essential expenses, for sure. Oh, one thing I forgot. Saving for a destination wedding in the oh, Caribbean weddings. or the Bahamas. That's important to me. <laughs> uh, I do not want a wedding, you know, a mile from where I live in Burlington or Toronto. I want a destination wedding under palm trees on the... The beach with all my friends drinking margaritas and sangrias and yes so yeah. saving for that awesome we're, we're waiting for our invitations and so you guys here, you guys can come i mean you'll have to pay your own way but <laughs> yeah and here's sorry i'm going to jump in one more thing one more thing before because that was actually something i was going to mention because of covid this and, and again i want to frame i don't want to say covid was good in general because i mean my fiance still lost some of her income and and it's been horrific for a lot of people um, small business owners, but one of the positives come out of uh, out of COVID was actually us canceling your wedding. And you're saying you're saying Stuart, like, aren't you upset? You know, we had a we had a trip to China that was planned. We were going to go see my fiance's mother in, and her brother in China. We were going to have a wedding in China. We were going to have a wedding here and do like a big you know big guffaw at the at at the at the reception hall thing at the Chinese reception hall. All that money stuck it in the house. Biggest, biggest, best decision I ever made was taking that money from the canceled COVID wedding from that was something that was an annoyance 
and turning it into a positive and throwing it into the house and into the car. Nice. I mean, that's, that's something a lot of people should consider. Do you really want a $20,000 wedding or do you want to put it into something tangible where you're actually going to be um, investing that money and you're actually going to see something back from Alex. That will be another, another show is the institution of marriage. We could do a whole hour (laughs) show on that. that Think about it. Uh, I just want to say uh, quickly, I just want to go out on, on sort of my final note. Um, uh, Basically my plan is to stick to a budget. And in my opinion, uh, sticking to a budget does not mean austerity measures. Um, I feel like, Uh, Following a budget has given me a raise like I have never seen in my life. I know the money that's coming in and I know the money that's going out and I've just got an eye on everything. Um, So for the rest of my life, I just want to be able to uh, keep an eye on on my finances and basically put a certain amount towards retirement and just have all of these big expenses sort of planned out. And, uh, and then have a little bit of a reserve for when emergencies happen. Owning a house, having a baby, that type of thing, all those are conducive to breakdowns, uh, unexpected uh, medical expenses, yeah. unexpected things that happen. So Never mind I just the think, cost of diapers, yeah. man. Something that worries yeah. me and that's going to be worrying you soon. I mean, I, I don't, we're not pregnant yet, but we are in the future. We're, we're, we are thinking about having a child in the near-ish future. And I think something on your mind as well as my mind will be the fucking cost of those diapers, right, Al? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's coming. Well, luckily, they only eat crackers for the first six months anyways. So that's true. It's all good. <laughs> I'll come to you. You know what? When I have my little one in a, maybe a year or two's time, I'll come to you for all the parenting and budgeting advice that you can doll out. <laughs> I don't know if I would trust me on that, but uh, the parenting, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, I guess that about wraps it up unless you guys have anything else. Honestly, I'll, I'll just go back to what I said. Like if you can cut out an expense, like do it like, and you, and you'll get used to like not noticing it. Like I don't notice that I don't have crave. I don't notice that I'm not eating this shitty fucking Toronto Eaton center food every day. So if they're, or even going to the gym, like if you can work out at home, um, like without having to go like to, to, to pay these luxurious fees for the gym or for a yoga studio, Cut shit out that you don't need because you're you'll get into the habit and you'll you won't even notice it. I'm gonna disagree. I need my gym, but all gyms are closed in Ireland here. So I, I built my own little gym in the backyard, which is awesome. Um, anyway, all right, guys, that wraps up this episode of the lockdown lowdown. Thank you so much for watching. As always, please share, tell your friends about us, like, subscribe, all that great stuff, all support you can give us. We would greatly appreciate it. As always, thanks for watching and we will see you next time.